0: I'm not like them. I can pretend
1: I'll think I'm down. Maybe just not. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughts and Prayers. I'm here with A. What's up? And we're here with a special uh, guest today. We have um, Penelope do you want to say hi penelope
2: hey guys
1: um she's at uh, on twitter she's at five wait let me let me say it right <laughs> um at phy chick um <laughs> and do you wanted to take a minute just introduce yourself tell us a little bit about you whatever you want the listeners to know
2: yeah so hi i'm penelope um Full, like, name Penelope V. Um, and my Twitter handle is so embarrassing because I actually created it when I was 12 and it was supposed to be Psycho Rock Chick. However, I know it's spelled incorrectly. I'm not like, <laughs> um, so, but I love words with like PHs in them. So I was like, okay, let me like make a fusion word. But now everyone just thinks I don't know how to spell. <laughs>
1: Are you a longtime poster? Like, have you been posting since you were 12?
2: Um, not really. I think I created it, like, when it very first came out, because I was like, oh, it's like a new thing, and, like, everyone at school was talking about Twitter, and yeah, so, but I wasn't really posting that much until I was maybe a little bit older.
1: Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I mean, I didn't start posting until, like, as a full-blown adult, so I'm always curious about people's posting journeys. Um and you're a you're a stand up uh, comedian and you're also an actress right?
2: Yes, yeah. Um, so I do stand up. I would say actress loosely only because I feel like I haven't like worked in like a really long time, and I've mainly done things like you know short films and like radio shows, like scripted radio shows. Um, I've had, like, small parts and bigger stuff, but I haven't had, like, a lead role yet, so I'm, like, still, I feel like aspiring actress makes more sense, but since <laughs> I've been paid to do it, I'm technically actress, but, yeah.
1: Oh, that's fair enough. And then I was a little surprised, uh, when we first got on by your accent, so do you want to explain your your heritage because I was expecting a thick British accent so
2: yeah so I I'm British and um I was born in Africa but I only developed an American accent like a few years ago um <laughs> because I have like American friends and family um but I can still do a British accent I can do British Australian and obviously American um <laughs> do you want to hear my British
1: sure (laughs) let's hear let's hear a little british
2: (laughs) i feel like okay um hi guys my name is penelope and i really love chicken and chips
1: yeah that that's pretty good that's better than i could do on the spot for sure (laughs) um but you are like a you are you are british you live there you were raised there it's just the accent is because of your family members basically
2: Yeah, I think more friends than family, because like the family there, I don't speak to them that often, but I do speak to my friends like every single day. Um, Yeah, so I just kind of absorbed what they said, and now I sound American.
0: (laughs) So does everyone think you're American?
2: Yeah, everyone thinks that. And I really, I don't like that, because I feel (laughs) like, I don't know, here it's cute, right? But if I were to ever go to America, everyone would just think I'm like an average American. I want to have the like novelty everywhere I go, you know?
1: You have kind of a like, I think your voice sounds a little bit, uh, it's like hard to place, which I think is good because I think it adds like mystery a little bit. Okay, okay. It seems like a combo of like a mix of things. So I think that's cool, you know?
2: Yeah, I still say words like, Theatre, I say that like still British, but so it's like different words you can kind of catch, but overall it's just,
1: yeah. (laughs) I like that. I mean, I feel like every time I spend time in Europe, I start randomly saying sort of accented things, which is like a little bit of an embarrassing quality, but it happens. Um, And if I was around British people all day, every day, I would probably, I would probably start sounding a little British, but I am not going to try to do a British accent. (laughs) be really really bad and really embarrassing um, well let's just I think we should jump right into the docket uh, I um, I am curious what you wanted to talk about to do with cults and Mormonism I I grew up in a Mormon neighborhood actually weirdly um I grew up in Texas but my neighborhood when I was about like 12 maybe built a Mormon temple. Um, right in the middle (laughs) of the neighborhood, um, on the highest hill in the neighborhood. So I could like, you could see it from wherever you were. I lived in like a master planned, like very Texan, like McMansion-y suburban community. But anyway, tons of Mormons. Uh, (laughs) so I was around them a lot. Um, you weren't allowed to go into the temple. I remember they had like a special day where like everyone could go in, but other than that, you weren't supposed to go in, um. I definitely like smoked some weed in the parking lot of the Mormon temple a few times because it was sort of you know out of the way. But um, I always liked Mormons. I don't know. I, I they they they're very sweet people uh, when you meet them. Yeah.
2: Um, so I would say that's like a sign of a cult, really, kind of um, because they like my experience with Mormons because. I was part of the Mormon church for about two years. I wasn't baptized into it, but I would attend and I would take sacrament and I was just super involved in it. And ultimately it's like the friendliness, you know? Um, They would have elder missionaries who were like the grandparents and they would treat everyone really lovely. And it just like, it makes you feel loved. And I think especially for people who may not have had that, you know, growing up, it kind of sucks you in and you feel, you know. um, But I mean, just from like a religious perspective, like the, you know, I don't know if your listeners are, what demographic of like religion they are, if they aren't religious at all. Um, But it's just, they do a lot of-
1: I think it's a mix, probably a lot of Christian backgrounds and probably a lot of not very religious backgrounds is my guess, just from who I know listens. Okay. Yeah. But, I, but I'm Catholic and i we do talk about some Catholic based stuff. I
0: bet on. we have like a trad cath contingent, I would guess. Yeah,
1: we do. We do. Because we've had some like trad cath type people on and stuff like that. So, and I know you're Catholic now. So, right, Penelope?
2: No, I'm not Catholic. I'm Christian.
1: Oh, you're a Christian. Okay, take us through your because I think you wanted. I think I think you wanted to talk about this because you've had some like lefts and rights. So take us through yeah. your. Well, how,
0: so how did you get involved with the church? I didn't know. I don't know anything about. I thought you had to be like born into it or whatever. But that, that's true. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um. No. So there's two different types. There's the LDS, which is Latter Day Saints, and then there's the RLDS, which is I think it's Reformed Latter Day Saints or something. Um. But basically. One of them is like, basically anyone can join. Anyone can come in and, um, you know, you get baptized into the church and then you get temple recommend, which is the only thing that allows you to enter the temple. And then you have like the garments, which is like the special magic underwear, as they say. Um, And then all that stuff. But the RLDS, to my belief, is the more extreme version. So that's like um, the people who still believe in polygamy, people who still believe that Black people can't hold the priesthood. Um, I remember reading something um, when I was first involved with the church and it was basically, they were saying that the Mark of Cain is what made people Black. So like being Black was like a biblical curse and that's how Black people got made into the world and stuff like that is just like so insane but
1: i know that um and they they kept that teaching i think it's why i want to hear how you got involved in it because they kept that teaching until like the 70s right that was that was still their belief they were like one of the like the like they really clung to that yeah so how how did you start getting involved in all of it just friends and Um...
2: No, I actually, I'm like the most naive person on the planet. So I just like met some guys at a bus stop and they were very well-dressed. And I was like, who are these very like attractive, well-dressed people? And I just started speaking to them and they were like, oh, we go to this church. So I was like, okay, I'll come along to this church. And, you know, I just started going every Sunday and it seemed really nice. And then um,
1: actually- they got you from the actual, like the missionaries got you.
0: Yeah, the
2: missionaries got me. <laughs> well, what,
0: a, a lot of times, that's what I was going to say. Like Mormons, they are they do tend to be like I don't know, like they seem very well adjusted, happy families, they yeah. good looking, you know, physically fit and active and stuff. So yeah, I could definitely. It is true.
1: I they do present, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's all part of the yeah. Anyway, so you actually, so some missionaries approached you you actually got into, and you started going to the services, basically. Yeah.
2: Well, I approached them, because I think it's smart that they sent the most attractive people to do missionary work. Um, but yeah, so I approached them, and then I just started going. And um, yeah, but basically, I was going to get baptized. And I was like, part of the church, they had a bunch of theology stuff, like temple work, if you guys know what that is. Um, it's basically when you get baptized in, in place of someone who's already dead, which is kind of like necromancy adjacent. Um, but yeah, and
1: then basically- about the, the post-death baptisms, I've heard about yeah. that before.
2: Yeah, um, but like long story short, I ended up sleeping with the bishop's son and <laughs> then that was a bit of a, caused a bit of stir. Um, and then kind of like, the whole church took his side obviously. Cause I'm like the outsider. I'm the one who, you know, seduced him, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I was then like treated like shit. And then he started dating this like other girl who was like super young. I think she was like 16 at the time. 16 is the legal age in England, by the way, just saying. Um, yeah. But, and that just caused a lot of issues and it like, the reason why I left was I kind of ended up in a mental hospital because of that. Um, Cause I just, I didn't deal with the stress very well, you know? Um, so I ended up in a psych ward and then my dad was like, okay, that's enough. And he called the bishop and then the bishop was like, well, it's your daughter's fault. And then my dad was like, Hey, for all Christians here. And then the bishop actually said, we're not Christians, we're Mormons. So I feel like Mormons don't view themselves the same as Christians. Um, but yeah, that was just a really weird time for me. But um,
0: And did your family know that you were involved with the Mormons and everything? They did,
2: they did. And my dad was very apprehensive because um, he was like, okay, do they believe in the Bible? And I said, yes. And then he was like, okay, what exactly, what makes them different to like every other denomination? Um, So he was a little bit skeptical, but ultimately they still let me go because I was still living with them. Um, So people would come and pick me up and then we'd go to church. Um, But yeah, I think my brother was actually the one who like pointed me to the history of the church, such as, you know, how they feel about black people, Um, how they feel about, I know, I don't know, some of it still, I'm like, clinging on to such as like, women can't hold the priesthood. Like, I'm still making my mind up about that. But that's kind of what you're taught in the Mormon church, which is that it's only guys. And, you know, not even black guys. Um, Now they accept like, everyone, but it's like, too little too late kind of
1: Yeah, it's so interesting to me that you got involved in that because I think of Mormonism as like a quintessentially like American religion because, you know, it was founded in Utah and um, for a long time they were like sort of just isolated from even like America, like mainstream America. They kind of had their own thing going on, but they are an incredibly like evangelizing religion. So it's interesting because like, I feel like what you said a is true that like we kind of have this sense that you're only born into it but they actually like more than probably any other religion send missionaries all around the world because you have to do a mission for two years so they're they're i i think i've read somewhere they're like the fastest expanding um one of the fastest expanding religions in the world um Interesting. But you ultimately came away considering it like a cult, is how you felt about it at the end.
2: Uh, Yeah, because I feel like, I don't know, a lot of this practices they do are kind of cult-like, like the secret, um, the secrecy of the whole operation, kind of like people can't just go into the temple. You have to, you know, get approved and you have to be selected, go to temple recommend and then get... Um, I think you have to like have a conversation with like your local bishop as well when you get their temple temple recommend. Um, but I don't know. I feel like also the underwear that people aren't allowed to talk about, but everyone talks about it. Um, and also like the theology, you know, I feel like
1: if you. What, what's the, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but what's, what's the point of the underwear? Because honestly, like, Everyone does know about it, and now it's even, like, in porn. Like, there's, like, gay porn. That's, like, like, called, like, Mormon missionary boys and stuff like that. But, like, what is the, like, what is the point of the... Is it supposed to be, like, a chastity thing? Like...
2: Um, I think so, because I think when I first heard about it, it was more of, like, it's supposed to, like, protect your purity, you know? Like, keep... Keep you from, I don't know how underwear is going to keep you from sinning, but somehow. Um, <laughs> but um, any people can correct me if they're listening to this and they know a little bit more, um, just at me on Twitter. Um, but I think it's just like to protect you from like sin or perverseness. I don't know. Is it well, like I would hard imagine. To just...
0: off or something. Sorry. Is it like hard to take it off?
2: Or something? <laughs> I don't think so. No.
1: <laughs> I mean, what I would, I don't think it's, maybe it's not a literal to me, what I'm imagining and I, people can correct us. Cause I don't know a lot about it, but it's not a literal, like it's hard to get to your naked body situation, but it's more that like you have this on. Yeah. So you, you're thinking about, it's like a reminder, like you have this thing phys- physically on your body.
2: Oh, like a purity ring.
1: Yeah, something like that. Like it's like you're wearing this thing, and it just kind of is like a constant reminder that you're not supposed to like have, I don't know, sexual thoughts. I guess.
0: And so in Mormonism, is it, it's another one, right, where they don't like drink or do any drugs and stuff, right?
2: Yeah. um So there's no
1: caffeine. Different-
2: yeah, yeah, there's different rules. So there's um, rule of chastity, obviously not having sex. And then there's word of wisdom. Word of wisdom are the five things that you can't eat or drink. So I'm going to see if I can remember. So it's like tea, coffee, uh, tobacco, alcohol. And I can't remember the fifth one, but it's like,
1: yeah. I think I it's to do cocaine or something. <laughs>
2: um, maybe it's drugs. I, I don't okay. know.
1: <laughs> I would imagine that if coffee's off the table, any drugs <laughs> are off the table would be my guess. Yeah. yeah.
0: Interesting. Um so did you and, follow all those rules when you were in the church?
2: I did. And weirdly enough, I still do. Even though I'm out of it, I don't really like I don't know. I just it's kinda...
1: well you broke one, you broke the chastity one. Yeah, Wait, true, what... true. <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: Um <laughs> yeah, I mean that wasn't like my only experience with like a cult-like situation and um <laughs> I'm thinking if like my family members are going to listen to this at some point um but yeah um basically I'll tell you another story of like a cult-like thing um so my one of my neighbors I will not say who obviously um but they had like their own ministry so it's like They were uh, like, I don't know, leading their own kind of church, but only from the inside of their house. Um, And I would like hang out and I would go and like play with the kids there. And, you know, they had like a teenage daughter. So um, I would like hang out casually. And then I remember at one point, my mom spoke with her mom and was like, she needs to come and like live with you guys. So I'm thinking, you know, sleepover, is so much fun, um, but it, it was like me, the family, another woman who I don't know where they found this woman from, and then another woman, and then another woman, and it was like random. Well, they weren't random because they knew them, but it was it felt kind of weird and a little bit off because I'm like, all these women are here because you know they're troubled in some way and they believe that. You know, the prophet can help the prophet. That's what we call, you know, the head of the family because he's like a prophet.
1: How old were you?
2: Um, not young. I think I was, I, I don't know. I think maybe 20.
1: That's young. And you're, to me, that's very young. And your mother, and your mother, let me just make sure I understand the story right. Um, your mother wanted you to go live with these people.
2: Yeah. So there are like neighbors and it was like, I don't know. I still think they're like well-meaning. It was just a very strange kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt very off about it from like day one. Um, But basically my mom was like, Oh, you know, she really, she needs like a military household. She needs like this. And it's so weird because I was never like a bad kid. So I didn't, know where that was coming from. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it was kind of like, you know, we'd wake up, we'd pray, we'd do like night vigils. Um, and it was kind of intense, like in terms of like just the structure. Um, but I remember one point, like my friend came to see me or my friend was speaking to me on the phone or something. And then like the mother was like, that's it. You can't go to your friend's house. Like you can't see your friends. And I just like cried and I was like, what is happening right now? And I think the next day I woke up and like, I went to my dad um, cause he was like living in the neighborhood. Um, and I just opened the door and he saw me crying and he was like, okay, that's, that's enough. You need to come home. Um, and I think I know one of the women who was in that house now and she's not there anymore. Um, but I don't know how she feels about it. I haven't spoke to her. We just kind of don't acknowledge it. Um, but it was definitely very weird because if you have a church, you know, it should be like in a building, not necessarily like in your house saying that you are a prophet and like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to like diss anyone. But
1: it was definitely- no, I mean, it's, it's a bizarre setup. I mean, like, I have some ex- I've never been in what I would consider a cult, but I am, um, I have a sister who doesn't listen to the podcast, so I don't really care talking about it. But <laughs> she's basically in what I think is uh, a cult right now. Um, and it's like, it seems very, um, based around these like kind of extreme emotional experiences yeah. is like from from listening to her and my experience, like, you know, she went to Uganda and was doing like missionary work there and um, performed like what she described to me as like an actual exorcism, you know, which was like a intense emotional experience for her um and i think that those things kind of bond you to the people that you're you're around you know yeah um and i and i don't disbelieve like i mean i i am i i'm a catholic i believe in like a spiritual world i do think there's like things like demons and things like that i mean i don't think we really understand them but I think yeah. they exist. I, I believe that they exist. But that's that's been my experience with people who get involved in these like small religious communities is that they're based around kind of extreme emotional experiences that kind of bond you to the people in the way that like, you know, going through a death, like with your partner, bond you to your partner. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like you get bonded by these kind of intense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a trauma bond.
1: Yeah. 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 That's how I see a lot of them operating. I think it's interesting that there aren't more cult-like. Like, you know, in the 60s and 70s, at least in America, there was, like, a huge proliferation of kind of cult activity, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of that now, except for the one major one (laughs) that we all saw recently with the COVID regime where I did feel like there were some cult-like elements uh, to the way that that was practiced. But it's interesting to me that like with social media and everything, there's not more of these like smaller communities kind of everywhere, you
2: know? Wait, did you say like how COVID was handled was a cult?
1: No, I just felt like there were like some cult-like elements and like the way people began to believe and sort of like, Completely irrational. Trust the science. Oh, yeah. Yeah, every, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Just like rituals
0: yeah. of like the purity rituals of putting on the mask when you go <laughs> everywhere and getting boosters every three months, you yeah. know? And things like
1: that. Yeah. And like putting on the mask when you walk into the restaurant to go walk to the table and then take the mask off when you get to the table. I mean, there were just some weird. So I saw how like anyone, I really think anyone can be conditioned to like do these things. I just, um, I'm surprised there's not more. I'm surprised we don't hear about more of these like kind of smaller communities, like you're describing that you were a part of.
2: But I think it's because most people like wouldn't be able to tell that it's a cult because it's not, they're not like asking you to like sacrifice your child or anything like out, you know, completely, you know, outrageous. Um, But when they are kind of emotionally manipulating you, when they are making you believe That they are someone special that can help you, and you are in a position to receive that help. It, you know, it does create that cult atmosphere, but many people don't see it that way. And I think, um, especially within like the Christian community, because it's like, you know, don't criticize any like preacher, don't criticize any. And that's, you know, I get that completely because you don't wanna, I don't know. You don't want to like shit on someone. Cause you don't know, you know, if they really are a man of God or not. So I'd rather just, you know, keep myself out of it. Um, however, it's just when someone is capitalizing on your past trauma and saying that, you know, God has equipped them to fix you. Um, then I think that's emotional manipulation and that's, you know, when it turns into a cult
1: did um i had another friend who was involved in a cult and i'm going to keep this like very very vague um but one thing that he talked a lot about was um the use of like shunning um where like community members would sort of like mass shun and it sounds like you experienced something like that at least in the mormon side of things oh yeah, yeah. and that's kind of like a tool of like control because you feel so Attached to these people, and then suddenly there's this switch, and you're being sort of ostracized. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it's just like that wakes you up to the fact that you are in a cult faster, because then you're like, oh, where did all of this intense love that I've been getting for the past, you know, year or so, where did it disappear to? And so the fact that they can switch and get everyone else around to also, you know, disassociate with you and completely cut you off that then lets you know, okay, so they're all operating as one, one thing, you know? Um, yeah. So it's sad though.
1: Well, I'm happy. It sounds like you found a spiritual practice now that works for you and you feel like it's healthy.
2: Yeah, of course. I go to like a really lovely church right now and,
0: um, Yeah,
2: I'm not going to, like, talk about my church because I don't want them to, like, find this and then...
0: No, that's fine. (laughs) You you got two cults under your belt now. So are you... Would you consider a third?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'm just... I'm looking for a third. Actually, (laughs) um, (laughs) no. um, I don't know. I feel like I... People like me are kind of more, like... What's that word? Like, subjectable? I don't know. Uh, More... (laughs)
1: Like likely to join a cult. What's yeah. that word? I can't think of that word right now. Suggestible. Suggestible. That might be it. Suggestible. I think,
2: yeah, perhaps. Um, but I think,
1: I, mean, I, think I, I think I I people make fun of me for saying this, but I think I could be co-opted by a cult. But people are like, you hate being told what to do, which is like the central <laughs> tenant to being in a cult is people tell you what to do and they're like, you really dislike that. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't really see you in a cult. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, I think what I like about it is I'm like, oh I'd like like family and like to always have yeah. people around thing. But they're like, Yeah, but you're really bad at like following orders of any kind. Like you don't really <laughs> then do maybe like-
2: just be a cult leader. You know, let's let's <laughs> start <laughs> <it all> together.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, maybe I could go in that direction um okay let's let's that that was interesting let's move on to Lizzo blocked you (laughs) yeah uh so we so just to give you a background Penelope in case you haven't listened to past episodes which is totally fine uh we're not like um obsessed with everyone having to listen but like we talk about Lizzo all the time because we kind of think we kind of think Lizzo's a psyop yeah um
2: we've,
1: we've been making jokes about that for like a year now um And so anyway, just Lizzo's a a big theme on this, this podcast. So it's interesting that she must've noticed you enough to block you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: so she, I was following her. I don't even know when I followed her or why, because I don't really agree with the message that she does. Um, but basically she tweeted something about um how you know she exercises she eats and people don't know what she goes through um but you know she's still this big and i just tweeted back and i was like something doesn't add up like if you are working out and you're eating well as you say you are then you will have lost weight in the few years that you know the public have seen you
0: and then we all saw her grocery cart
1: <laughs> <laughs> she released her grocery card at one point. It was full of like, yeah. Anyway. So you tweeted that. And then yeah. she obviously saw it.
2: Yeah. And then she blocked me. And the next thing I knew, I got like Lizzo fans in my DM, not in my DMs, like in my replies. Um I can't remember what they were saying. They were just calling me like ugly and like weird. They couldn't call me fat because then that would disprove their fat phobia. Um <laughs> But they were just like being super mean. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And then I checked Lindsay's profile and I was like, she blocked me. And I was like, oh, so, but I mean, I don't know. I don't think fat phobia is a real thing, you know? Um, I think everyone should aim to be healthy. Um, But again, it's that kind of like peer pressure cancellation thing uh, where you're like, okay, let's all believe this one thing that just isn't true. And if you think anything outside of that, then we're going to cancel you. There's no such like being morbidly obese is not beautiful. It's not healthy. So, and I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking, but within <laughs> like, within like the entertainment industry, it, you know, I would get canceled so quickly. Cause it'd be like, how dare you be fat phobic and you're being anti-black, which is so interesting. That they like assume that fat is synonymous with black.
1: It is interesting that we haven't actually mentioned Penelope. You you would identify as black, right? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I identify. We, we
1: haven't mentioned that Penelope is black, but <laughs> yeah, I do find that interesting. That like somehow tying fat phobia to blackness seems incredibly offensive and kind of racist to me Yeah, because it's like, if you it's first off, it's like obviously black people exist. There's a billion, like, I don't even know hundreds of millions, maybe over a billion of them in the entire world. And outside of the U S and maybe Europe context, it's, it's, I, I don't understand why they're like, it's almost like they're like black people are fat, but that's like not true. <laughs> like yeah, if there's you a go, whole
0: continent full of black people that like that has the lowest obesity rate in Yeah, the like if you if, whatever, you if
1: you if you like... go to Lagos and Nigeria or whatever, I, be, I bet like no one's fat. Like that would be my guess. And that's like a wealthy, you know, cosmopolitan city. So it's just weird that in the US context and I guess probably in Western Europe too, they're like I don't know, it seems it seems racist to me. It seems more racist than uh they, they think they're being anti-racist, but it seems more racist. Yeah. That's just my
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the same with um I don't know, when people talk about white privilege, um sorry, I'm like focusing on like the little squiggle lines as we talk. Anyway, um sorry, I have the brain of a goldfish. Um <laughs>
1: They don't really. They don't really mean anything. I I know it looks. Yeah. Anyway. But Yeah. It is hard not to look at them.
2: Okay. No, because <laughs> mine isn't moving. So I was like, anyway. Um,
1: <laughs> it's, mo- it's moving on my end, yeah. so we can hear you fine. Okay.
2: That's cool. Cool. Okay. Um. Yeah. So when we will talk about white privilege, it's so insane to me because especially like liberals think that you know they're doing a good thing by addressing the privilege, but imagine thinking that you are inherently better than someone else (laughs) you're literally saying you know what this black person they're too stupid they're too ugly they're too you know they just can't do anything for themselves that's why i need to step in and i need to address the fact that i'm better than them in order for them to move (laughs) forward that's what they're saying when they say you know check your white privilege
1: i don't That 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 is what they're saying and one thing i find so ridiculous about it is like you know, I've had to go through so many uh, DEI trainings at this point, and it's like they always say things like, you know, being on time and uh, being like punctual for your job and being really focused at work are really white attributes. So what? it's ra- it's like it's like it's racist to try to like you know say that like all people are going to follow these guidelines, and I'm like this is absurd. Like this is, this is, this is more racist than anything I've ever heard in my life. Like, like black people are incapable of showing up on time to work. That's an, that's an insane insinuation. I work with, I've worked with many black people who <laughs> easily show up on time.
2: Yeah. To work. It's
1: like the whole thing is just, I don't know, but yeah, it's like, they're trying it, it is, it is more racist than, anything I've ever heard in my life when they're trying to do something anti-racist, you know?
2: I think liberalism is just like evil that's disguised, like trying hard not to be, if that makes sense. So it's like, it is racist, it is sexist, but they try to convince you that it's the opposite. Um, So instead of saying, you know, let's have actual equality and let's make sure, you know, both men and women face the punishment, appropriate punishment for their crimes and, you know, making sure things are equal throughout the whole field, they would say something like, Oh, you know, I got to take a step back to elevate women and like treating women as if they're like a make wish kid or something like. <laughs> <laughs> they I- do.
1: T- they do treat women like children, which is funny because it's like, it's like women, you know, it's, like, can never be held accountable for, like, uh, their choices, and they're sort of just, like, yeah. const- they're constantly under the thumb of, like, pa- like the uh, opaque patriarchy. Yeah. I find that to be really offensive, too. I'm, like, women are actors in the world. They can definitely be manipulative and make decisions and things like that, you know? Yeah. It's just...
2: It's completely ridiculous, you know. And I was thinking about this the other day because obviously I want to have kids. um, And I know so many women who do have kids and who went back to work as soon as possible. And I'm like, that is so beautiful. That's so badass. And I don't think that um, what Hollywood is trying to convince you of, especially like the Barbie movie, which was awesome for like the first 10 minutes. And then it was like, men are bad. And the reason you have cellulite, like, you know, Um, (laughs) basically, I just think I completely lost my train of thought. Um, but I think you were talking
1: like, about having kids and something, wanting to have kids at some point.
2: Yeah. So I just think it's such a badass thing because so many women have done this since the dawn of time. And I don't feel that I'm like a victim oppressed by the patriarchy. Like, no, I think I'm a really incredible, powerful person. And feminism itself is super patronizing that's why I you know it's hard because in the industry that I'm in you kind of have to play the game a little bit um and you know make nice and say all the right things but I would like to you know live in a world where I don't have to succumb to whatever social stuff is going on that doesn't mean that I hate women that doesn't mean that I hate black people it doesn't mean I you know, one-off fat people to die and put on an island and whatever. Um, But it just means I believe in true equality,
1: you know? Well, you, what you actually want, I think is what anyone who's actually moral wants. And like, you actually genuinely want the best for all these groups. Yeah. And the best is being honest, Me. right? Like, I have I've had huge fluctuations in my weight like my entire life. And like I am healthier and more active and better when I'm working out and I'm slimmer. And like that's you know, like that's truth. That's honesty. Like, so I think it's like being dishonest actually doesn't help anyone. No. You know what no. I mean? And it like and it makes and it, it makes women and all these other groups you just named feel like basically um, yeah, they are like make a wish kids. I mean, that is how they're talked about, you know what I mean? And then it's like, it's funny being a gay man too, because like a gay white man, um, which is like the new pariah group We're like, we're like right underneath the straight white men, but the gay white men, I'm like, you know, for a while they kind of got victimhood status, but I can't think <laughs> of anyone more, um, in their I can't think of any group more honest about their sinister qualities than gay men and gay white men in particular like they're a very like I think they're very aware of their a lot of them at least yeah. of their like kind of I don't know so it's just funny that they used to get but now they're not really getting the they're not getting the victim status anymore they're maybe even starting to get worse than straight white men so
0: yeah, On the i internet. think they're not quite as evil as straight white men but they're, <laughs> they're kind of in the, they're neutral you know they're not like special but they're not evil either so yeah i think yeah. the
2: being white and being a man that they're like oh well they're probably evil as well but just you know the gay part is a. Uh, what you guys
1: should cling on to. Um. A is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, well, not, not gay to be clear. Okay. He has a, a be- he has a beautiful wife and children, but I'm I'm the, I'm the gay one. I know. But, but yeah, well, um, it's like
0: only straight white men can like do anything bad in the eyes of of like, yeah. girl or whatever. Yeah, in, like, no,
1: girl. it's it's true. It's like only they and then like anyone else anything they do that's bad can be theoretically explained away by some sort of oppression. So it's like, you know, it's interesting. It's like, in one sense, the left will want like maximum carceral punishment for, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example of someone they felt that way about, like Kavanaugh. I don't know, someone like that, right? Like they want him to like experience, uh, you know, like this extreme punishment, but then it's like, you know, for a young Black person who maybe killed someone, they want, like, leniency. And I'm like, your your morality has no... Um, you got to pick, right? You got to pick leniency for everybody or you got to pick, like, you know, the carceral state for everybody. But you can't just say some groups deserve work. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah,
2: of course. Yeah. No, I mean, it is ridiculous because it's like... Their logic is always, oh, we're just evening the playing field, you know? Um, but it makes no sense because, yes, okay, we get it. Slavery was bad. We can all agree on that. <laughs> um, but saying that now every Black person can never do anything wrong because of that is, like, insane. That's so ridiculous. Um, but a lot of them just don't see it like that. So, I don't know. I will always champion true equality. Um I feel like that will probably get me canceled at some point, but anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like equality versus opportunity versus like a quality of outcome, and it's like you're never going to be able to achieve full equality of outcome, but you can probably get maybe close to something like a quality of opportunity. But even then, everyone has different you know, there's just, it's just a fact that like, we're all different. I- I've met many, many, many people in my life smarter than me, yeah. more, be- more beautiful than me, <laughs> like whatever, just basic things like that. And like, what are we going to do about that? You can't, yeah, you can't, you can't, just you can't like get rid of those kind of inherent differences, which the left seems like really interested in denying. And I'm talking on like an individual level, not like some races are more beautiful than other races i'm just talking like individuals when you're in a room full of people there are going to be people who have more or less inherent talents than you have that's just part of i mean that's that's observable you know yeah
2: yeah i really i want to know what like the feminists think of um sydney sweeney i think her last name um just because she to me she's like She embodies everything feminine and she's just gorgeous and she she has like a kind aura. I don't know. I just, I can't help but love her, Um, which makes me feel like there probably are some tweets, but I I haven't come across any, Um, but I'm just wondering if, you know, people are saying that she's, you know, being anti-feminist or, you know, not, uh, I don't know. I hate that phrase, like pick me,
0: you know?
1: They definitely think she's anti-feminist and she definitely gets in trouble because she has like kind of a conservative
0: Well, her family wore a MAGA hat or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like her dad wore a MAGA hat or something. So she gets like, but she seems like so apolitical and just trying to like have a, like a fun career. She's really very invested in like, you know, but I don't think she would describe herself as a feminist is my guess. Yeah. I think, I, ho- I hope we're moving past the phase where every female actress has to answer whether they're a feminist or not on, in an, inter- in interviews.
2: Yeah. That's
1: an annoying question. Now we're at the phase where every male actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause there was like a five year period where like every woman had to answer that question. And if you said anything, even slightly off, yes, <laughs> you were like, you were like immediately um, in trouble um well, so what's just guess... one of
0: those words like everything where it doesn't act, like far right or something where it doesn't actually mean anything it's just sort of like you have to say you are a feminist if you're a good liberal you know it's like no one even really ponders exactly what
1: like what it means what it means yeah. when you say that um, I wanted, I I do want to talk about race mixing with you because we actually haven't done a lot of race mixing discourse on right here. But this this kind of lends itself what we're talking about now to an easy question for you, Penelope. Like, mm-hmm. what is it like having some more conservative or at the very least like um, not super left wing views, yeah. and so you end up on the same side of Twitter as a lot of our listeners. Um, but you are a black woman, which I think is, you're probably, I would guess I could be wrong, but maybe you're in the minority of people who come to these like kind of beliefs. Like, what is that? What is that like? I'm just curious.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting and I think I definitely am in the minority, but I find a lot more like black, more right wing leaning accounts have been like following me recently. Um, But I will say, I mean, Black women love Nick Fuentes. No, but I don't know. I think I'm not necessarily, I'm trying not to be like, okay, I'm 100% conservative or 100% this or that. Um, So, but I remember when I was first on like this side of Twitter, I guess, and I would get like, the most ridiculous hate from like random like right wing accounts. Um and they would say like the most racist stuff. And I'm like, okay, um I'm not and gonna then they
0: slide in the DM.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 Both. Um Business. but it was just so weird because at first I was shocked because I'm like, okay, I'm kinda on your side. Um but <laughs> then I think it's just like they want to keep up appearances of like, okay, these types of people are liberals and they're against us. And so we have to be seen as being against them. Um, and then secretly in the DMs, they're like trying to chat me up. And it's super weird. Um,
1: but- no, we've talked a lot about that sort of thing on here. Cause yeah. we have Basil's very into that, how that's a, anyway yeah keep going <laughs> um
2: but i would say women especially um i think now it's okay because we do have like a lot of female i'm trying to think of like who do you guys know who like shoe on head is
1: mm-hmm. oh okay um you know shoe on head oh shoe on head oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. no we're mutuals yeah shoe on heads um yeah 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 we do know sorry oh, like you yes. told me
0: who that is Q.
1: <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't i didn't understand i i thought you were saying a name like Shawan head oh. <laughs> now i now i hear yes Shawan head is a, is a friend of the show i guess we're mutuals what 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 about her
2: yeah no i was just gonna say so like now you know there's like people like her who are like super like successful i guess in like this universe um because she's a pretty big account. Um, But I remember at one point it was like people were constantly testing the girls on this side. So you know how like if a girl would walk into a video game store like 10 years ago, she'd get grilled as to what her favorite video games are to like find out if she's faking or not. Um, So there was a lot of that of like assuming that a girl is just a grifter. And there are female grifters existing, um, but I would say this side of twitter is now more open to like women like uh women figures i guess
1: yeah no and i mean it's yeah it's i don't know it's interesting because it's like i mean i would say i could be wrong about this but i would say like in america at least A lot of black Americans are significantly more socially conservative than a lot of white Americans. That seems anecdotally true to me. Um, And I think they like largely vote Democrat because of like kind of historical, like cultural reasons. But when you actually like meet like and hang out with average everyday black people, they tend to be more socially conservative than a lot of these like white parents who are like, Oh, we gotta take Mitzi to get her puberty blocker shots. You know what I mean? Like they're they're definitely like not on board with some of that stuff. So Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think it's kinda like like with my mother, she's kinda she's not political, um, but she does, you know, she's of the demographic where she gets her news from like Facebook and WhatsApp. Um and but when you speak to her and have a conversation with her, she does have like these right wing views, but doesn't necessarily understand that it's right wing views. And I think that's the same for a lot of like African um, immigrants, African parents, Um, while they may vote Democrat because it's like, whether it's socially acceptable or just, you know, historically, whatever. um, But personally, they are, you know, Christian, they're against a lot of the stuff that the Democrats do. And um, yeah, so I think it's an interesting thing. Um, but you mentioned race mixing.
1: Um- yeah, we, we, it's actually one of the like the hot topics on this side of Twitter, we've like never addressed, because we just truly don't we don't have it we i mean our opinion on it is like it's fine yeah. <laughs> like neither of us have like strong opinions on it my half of my immediate family is a race mixed family yeah. my dad's my dad's second wife is asian so i don't know um my partner's not white like i i just so to me it's like never been something that's very interesting to me but our but this side of twitter does like to talk about it a lot so I don't know. I guess we could bring this. I, we were like, well, let's bring it up. Cause this is, you know. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think about like the discourse around it and the way people talk about it? It's very. Um,
2: I, so I don't necessarily, I'm not like, oh, I'm against it or I don't know. Um, but basically what I see is there's a lot of people fetishizing each other. And that's where like. That's my annoyance with it Um, because while, you know, love whoever, I honestly, I do not care. And I think, you know, beautiful relationships can have, you know, different looks, different partners, whatever it is. Um, However, it's just like, I would grow up and I would hear from like my Black aunties and Black, just people I went, was around and they would say things like, Oh, I'm never gonna settle for anything other than a white man because I want a beautiful skin child, and I'm like, that is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. Because you should fall in love with someone because you love them and love your child, however they look. But a lot of people think that having a mixed race child, as in mix of black and white, is like you've got the monopoly on genetics or something. Like they think that's like the most beautiful thing ever. And it makes me wonder how much they hate their own skin that they would rather only have children with lighter skin and it kind of ties into like, so I know a lot of women who do skin bleaching. Um, and that's, it's a huge like industry also like in Africa as well. Um, But to me, that's like the most heartbreaking thing in the world, because not only do you, you know, believe that your skin is, you know, not good enough and whatever, you're also like spreading that information around and trying to pass that on to, you know, your children. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have back onto like race mixing. I don't have like anything like against it. I just think people shouldn't fetishize. Um, each other you know
1: well there's all these under this is what like our friend Basil is always talking about there's all these undercurrents of like fetish, fetishization that people can't admit to themselves Um, and white people are just as guilty of this too and, and it's both like, sides
0: of the political spectrum like you have the liberals who are you know like talking about I kill whitey and everything and then or you know like a, a black liberal you know or something kill whitey and then their boyfriend is white yeah then you also have like the racist right-wing guys who are then like right like sending you a dick pic or whatever
1: (laughs) and you have and you have this weird thing even amongst white people like of like white liberals being obsessed with kind of, like, not marrying white people in order to... uh Yeah, like, I defeat Like, virtue <laughs> yeah, yeah. signal to the extreme. And then you have... Yeah, so it's just, like, oh, there's a lot of people just not being honest about their desires, and then, like, obviously a ton of, like... St- a ton of this stuff is informed by porn, which is... which it, Porn is, like, the last place where, like, something can be extremely racist and, like... No one, you know, like no one says anything. But yeah, I just think there's a lot of undercurrents of fetish, fetishization, like you said, that like people just aren't being very honest about.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like I'd rather just meet someone and fall in love with them. And like, there's nothing wrong with, I don't know. I was gonna say there's nothing wrong with having a preference, but I think if you are like, say you're like, well, you are a white man, but if you were like looking for a partner and you were like, okay, I only like a dark skinned person and you've only dated and you're like, this is the only race that I find beautiful. I would have some questions. Um, same with, you know, a black woman who's like, okay, the only people who are attractive in the whole world are white people. That would be like an insane thing to say as well. Um so yeah, I mean honestly, it's fine but I, I I stay away from people who generalize or like I don't know, just generalize like attractiveness for like one race.
1: There is something like there is something weird about it <laughs> if you're only attracted to one <laughs> To one race. I don't know why I think it's weird. I can't name why it's weird, but there is something yeah, uh, strange about it. Mm-hmm. Did we lose you, A? Oh, okay. For some reason. Oh, you're here. I see it. Okay. Um it just keeps saying low IQ moron is having a problem. But I guess as long as you as long as we can hear you, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, let me go back to our, let me go back to our docket. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I can't think about like why I think it's, um, I can't think about why I think it's, it's weird, but there is something weird about people who just, uh, purely fetishize one race. Okay. The last thing you mentioned talking about, and I'm curious, so are you actually schizophrenic? Like you're a diagnosed schizophrenic?
2: So I'm Um, diagnosed with schizoaffective. So um,
1: what is, what is that? What is that? Yeah, meaning?
2: Well, I, to my understanding, cause I was researching it after the diagnosis, it's like diet schizophrenia. So it's like a light <laughs> of schizophrenia. Um, but I, I don't know. The thing is I feel like my followers just agree because of the random stuff I post all the time. Um, but basically I really fought this diagnosis when I was given it because I hadn't actually had like typical psychotic symptoms. So I hadn't heard voices. I hadn't seen things that weren't there. Um, so I was like, you know, what's with the diagnosis? But basically, um, the reason why I was given this diagnosis was basically I was in hospital. There was a staff member there that I liked And he liked me back, but then he's not allowed to like me back. So he made it seem as if it was like an unrequited and I was like stalking him and all this stuff. And it was like the most messy stuff ever. But um, the hospital knew that it wasn't unrequited, but I think it was like to cover their backs. Um, Some of the staff was really abusive to me because of that. Some of them would like scream in my face and say, you know, you're only here to see so-and-so and and say his name. And it was like the worst time ever. But I think the doctors who would come from outside would hear this and be like, oh, well, if she's, you know, like doing all this stuff, um, then, you know, she must be psychotic to some degree. So that's why they gave me schizoaffective. Um, I don't know. I think I know that I can be a little... Like my the diagnosis before that was obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, um, and depression. And I can see both of those things because I definitely had like a form of OCD and it wasn't like, oh, I need to clean my house. It was more like, I need to do something a certain amount of times or something bad will happen. It's like that. Kind yeah. Of. Um, yeah. so yeah, so I definitely had that. And I know that I can be, like, intense, um, but I, I don't know. I've just never really agreed with that until, like, recently when I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to... If this is my diagnosis and, you know, they've stuck with it and I'm still on this medication, um, which I'm actually coming off soon. Um, but, yeah, I mean...
1: But what do you think, like, I mean, I've been diagnosed with all sorts of stuff, too, in my life, and, like, I don't know, like, sometimes, A and I have talked about this before, like, sometimes I feel like they're kind of just, like, making up words for, like, all of, like, it's it's all the same shit, kind of, mm-hmm. ultimately. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just people have... Uh, compulsions people have dark thoughts people have obsessions and like whatever all these different words we use but then they just try to fit it into some like neat little like diagnostic box to sell you to sell you some like pharmaceutical product but there's not necessarily like like these are just prisms through which we look at these behaviors and like if we existed 200 years ago maybe they would have looked at these behaviors as something you know what i mean like and they do it, and I think it's interesting because they do it with everything. It's like, you know, I, like, at one time, at one point, I remember I got I got diagnosed with, like, complex PTSD or something like that. Yeah. And, like, I looked it up, and, like, the symptoms of it were, like, there was, like, 80 symptoms. And they were, like, things that, like, probably like everyone could like match some of these symptoms (laughs) you know what I mean like like everyone I know it was like nightmares and like trouble sleeping and like sometimes feeling like you're in a yeah fatigue uh brain fog like they were yeah they were just all these things that I'm like well like kind of everyone I know to some extent Anyway, it's just interesting. I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, you're, you're on your own journey. I, I, I still take psychiatric medication. I'm still on SSRIs. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm like, I just think it's like the, the, the more I explore it, the more I realize that it's like, they're just trying to kind of explain these, they're just trying to explain the human condition and then like pathologize it to some extent, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot. Um, Sorry, right, I didn't mean to throw a whole lot at you. I just, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it at times. As someone who's also had a lot of run-ins with, you know, psychiatric yeah. institutions and things like that, so.
2: No, I mean, you're right. Um, because like you said, it is like the more, like, wide, like the wider they make the descriptions of these conditions, then, you know, the more people than they can just give meds to for the rest of their lives, Um, and I personally, I don't think meds is like the answer for majority of people. Um, unless you're like wanting to kill millions of people, you know, whatever, um, then maybe take meds. Um, but like my ex who I actually met at the psych hospital, um, he would like hear voices and see stuff. And sometimes that would make him violent and, um, someone like that, I think does need like medication, but that's only part of the equation. Um, I think if you came in, you know, with these symptoms, let's get to the root of it. Like when exactly did this start? Because you know, there's stuff like drug induced psychosis. Um, right. So if you are someone who still takes drugs and I know all the like weed heads don't like me talking about this, um, but weed can actually induce psychosis um, prolonged use of it. Um, but if you're still, you know, doing those things, then there's no way that you're going to get better. Um, so I would say, you know, looking at the root of it, therapy is also a thing and also just a change of environment. I know that sounds like the most simple and cliche thing, but, um, I think for me, the second I left the psych hospital, I was like cured. Um, Well, yeah, but I felt so much better and I haven't been since. And the thing is, especially in like this climate in England and where I live, um, it's like a known thing that once you go to a psych hospital, even if it's like for the first time, you will be back within like the next few years. That's just like a fact. And like people who work at the hospital will say that because um, it's like, I don't, I think it's like the system itself doesn't do a good job of like healing people. And I think it does boil down to not knowing how to heal these things. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think the second I was out of the environment, I just was so much better and I haven't been back since. And I think I actually saw one of the nurses who worked there. I saw her today and she was like, you know, you look well. And she was like surprised to hear that I was like, teaching at a school recently. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just grateful that, um, I was able to not be around that environment because when your brain gets like a fresh start, it really does like have a positive effect. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you feel like, because I know people who, I've never, I've never like been in an overnight institution or anything like that, but I know plenty of people who have, and they all say that they feel like the institutions themselves are set up to make you sicker. Like they actually uh, genuinely, they actually genuinely like feel like they were sicker inside than when they were outside. Yes, you know?
2: And I would say for two reasons. My case was a little bit different because like I said, the staff at one point turned super abusive because they were on the side of the other guy. Um, But ultimately also, you know, being around other people who are also unwell, it's it's weird. It's kind of like, you know how if you group a group of women together in a house, their periods will all sync up. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's kind of like that. I think there's like a spiritual element to it where you have people in different stages of their mental health um, and they're all like living together because um, that was the setup in the hospital I was at. Obviously you have different rooms, but you're all like living in the war together. Um, I feel like it does affect you and it does make you go a little bit crazy because you start to believe other realities. And I would befriend, I was like the friendliest person. I'd befriend every new girl that came in. Some of them were like super, super unwell, but I wouldn't see that because I'm like, oh, she's just my best friend. And then she would start talking about like things, like ranting about things in her past life. And I thought she was making sense. And now that I'm out of there, I'm like, what the fuck was she talking about? Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like you kind of, you enter like a joint psychosis with the people around you. And it's, it's really weird. So um, I think psych hospitals are not the best place to be in because it does make the whatever you're going through much worse because it's like, also whose idea was it to like put a bunch of unwell people together in like the same, because I think also it kind of, it's like living but in like this weird bubble, and you get used to the bubble. I was in and out for like a year. And I say in and out, I had three admissions within that year and they were each like maybe a month, well, two months and a little bit long. Um, So for like, you know, a good part of that year, I was in there and it just, you get comfortable because there's like dinner at certain time, there's this at a certain time. You don't have to deal with the outside world at all. So when you get outside and something stresses you out, you don't, you can't cope with it. There is no diazepam to like knock yourself out um, when something inconveniences you. Um, So, you know, a lot of people come out and I think it's a sign that these hospitals are not doing the best job. Um, but they come out, they're not equipped to deal with anything. So the first like struggle they have, they relapse and then they're back where they started. And it's, it really sucks. Um, but I, I don't know. I think I'm so grateful that I was not part of that statistic. Um, and I think a huge part of that was cause I wasn't as like dangerously crazy as they made me out to be which at one point I started believing as well because there was a time where I was like banned from the hospital. It's like, yeah, it was really weird. Um, but they said that, um, you know, because of this thing with the staff member, um, and then, but they basically said to me that I am like too far gone to receive help which is like the most fucked up thing you can say to someone when they're like not a hundred percent like healthy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I truly believe that. And it was like really fucked up and what happened really affected me and affected, you know, my dad. And he was like, he was going to sue them. And, but I, for some reason I was like, don't, don't. And I, you know, made him like take everything back. Um, but yeah, it's just, I feel like these hospitals really fuck you up more than they help.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Everyone I know who's ever, who's ever been to one for any period of time has said that. And there is something alluring. Like I just hearing you talk about the routine, like I kind of, I was, when I was staying with a recently, I was laughing because I was like, so nice. Like being a child, how like, you know your whole day is sort of just like planned for you like yeah. your parents cool. produce like a breakfast for you and then you have like a little activity and then your parents produce like a lunch for you and then there's like a little activity yeah. and then there's yeah. and then your parents produce a dinner for you and then there's like a, a bath time and like a story time and then like you go to bed you know um and like a really soft like fluffy blanket that they like wrap around you. And yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like a nice, it's like a nice day. Um, I was just thinking about how like, you know, um, I know it's not that comfortable in these places, but there is something about how the routine and like the, you know, you do this and then you go to group and then you have lunch and then you go to like your, you know, and yeah. like, there's something, something childlike to that yeah. that I could have is as like a little bit alluring. And then, yeah, if you get really stressed out, they're going to give you a Xanax or whatever, and you're going to go take a nap. And, <laughs> you know, like, it's almost like, I-, I can see how that would be very comforting on some level, but I don't know if it helps you get better. Yeah.
2: I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Cause I feel like at the beginning I protested so much. I was like, I don't need to be here, you know, get me out of here. And then the time went on, I just kind of accepted my fate. And then I, you know, I wanted to self discharge. And this was like maybe a month later. And um, so I self discharged. and because I, you know, had appeared very like fine, they were like, sure, whatever. And then I think the second admission, I was a little bit, I don't know. I Mm would say I was a little bit more like, okay, maybe I do need to be here because the OCD had gotten worse. The depression had gotten worse. Um, So I felt like I did need to be there. And then the second admission was when shit really went down um, with this like whole staff member situation. Um, and then the last admission, I definitely didn't feel like I needed to be there because they basically, they said to me, Hey, we're going to ban you. You know, you're not allowed here at all. I got into a relationship with, I got engaged to like a 47 year old man when I was like 22 and we were happy and everything was good. And then the hospital gave me a call and they were like, Hey. You need to come pick some stuff up. You left at the hospital. We were living far away. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll just go there. He was like, you know, don't go. Um, But whatever, we both went. And then as soon as I got there, they were like, you're not leaving. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, what? Like you got me here under false pretences. And my, well, he's my ex now, um, was kind of saying how, you know, not only were they acting inappropriately, but now that I seem to be getting better, they're now trying to like drag me back into that system. And it's, it was so weird. Cause I think even like my parents, uh, my fiance at the time were all on the same page. And I think a lot of people who work in these hospitals perhaps need help themselves. Um, because of just how, you know, they operate, um, But yeah, it was very, it was kind of messed up because I was genuinely like, what the hell? Because I was moving on with my life, you know, got myself a cute older man and I was happy. Um, And then they kind of dragged me back in and then, you know, whatever. Um, But yeah, so I think there were some times where I did feel like it was um, okay to be there. But for the most part, I was like, I don't, I shouldn't be here.
0: Well, it's so bizarre they would, you know, act weird about someone developing feelings for the staff because it must happen all the time. You know, it sounds like Stockholm syndrome. Exactly, basically. exactly.
2: And I try to like explain it to them that way. Cause I'm like, A, I'm like living and he was like a peer support worker. A peer support worker is someone who um, was a patient, and then they come back to help out, Um, which I think they should really be vetting these people more to make sure that they're like okay when they come back. Um, But yeah, so he was like roughly like a little bit older than me, I think, Um, but still like a young person, all the peer support workers were young people. So when you're living and you see this person every single day, of course you're gonna form an attachment. And I think that's how it started and then Um, you know, they kind of painted it into something that it wasn't and then things got out of control and I reacted a little bit incorrectly. Um, I did tell him that I hated him and I will say what I said, quote unquote, and it's the only time I'm going to quote this. Um, I told him I hated him on Facebook and I said, I hate you more than Hitler hated the Jews. And he then said, oh, you're being anti-Semitic that was what like he said later on that, you know, she's being anti-Semitic and try to paint me as this person. And I'm like, that's not anti-Semitism. That's just factually accurate, you know, Um, because I'm not- And
1: and wait, to to be clear, you, you had this infatuation with him, but nothing ever happened between you guys like physically or anything.
2: Oh no, nothing physically happened. Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that's, I mean, honestly, I'm thinking of one other friend right now who- uh, fell in love in the psych ward. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, it's just, you hear about it. You hear about it in, in nursing homes when people are like in their eighties, <laughs> you hear about, it. I mean, I just think you, you put a group of people together, there's going to be like feelings that emerge. It's why I feel so like weird about even like, um, the way our culture has gotten about work and like, everyone's like so scared to like, date at work and stuff. And I'm like, where, where do you want people to like you, people are together all the, like, it's just like a normal place that people are going to like meet and like things are going to develop, you know, like it's just, yeah. But it makes sense to me why that would happen.
2: Yeah. And it, it was just really frustrating because obviously they try to gaslight me because um, obviously I liked him. I told him initially in that conversation he was like, well, I can't answer, I can't say anything. And was trying to be you know, diplomatic about it. And then later on, we were in like next, like there's a corridor with like a glass door where like the cameras can't really see. And like, he kind of like signaled to me through the glass. And I completely forgot about that because they were trying to like get it through my head that this was like an unrequited thing and all this stuff. And then later on, like my third admission, Another like staff member said to me, "Oh yeah, so he was actually moved because he also felt the same, and they found out. So it was so weird because for the longest time they let me think that I was just this crazy person, and like like I said, I can be intense, of course, um, but it was just the fact that they had created this narrative that you know is unrequited and. You know, I'm just this awful, dangerous
1: stalker. I'm sure there's like huge legal liabilities if a staff member admits to any sort of exactly imp- impropriety of any kind. And it's kind of the perfect situation to gaslight and blame a patient because everyone there is crazy. That's yeah. the, you know, that's yeah. like that. So it's like a really easy, you know, place to do that.
0: Is this, like, involuntary commitment thing, like, a common practice in the UK? I feel like, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm just thinking of this uh, British TV show, Peep Show, and they're always, like, plotting and scheming to get people, like, they call it sectioned or whatever, like, get them committed into a mental
1: hospital. But that happens in America a lot, too, eh?
0: Really? I've not
1: really they can they can put you on a they can put you on a seventy like if you if you were in the emergency room and you said I wanna kill myself they could put you on a seventy two set what's called a seventy two seventy two hour hold in the US they can do that.
2: Yeah and and against him- your, against
1: your will, no one has to sign anything, just your You can't leave for 72 hours until you've been like assessed or whatever.
2: Yeah. So, there, yeah, there is that like assessment period here in England as well. Um, But there's also something called if you're not known to the system, let's say you're like trying to kill yourself in the middle of the street and strangers called, the police can put you under what's called a 136. Um, I think it's called 136 anyway. But basically, it means the police can take you to the psych hospital. Uh, just like leave you there. And then the psychiatrist will evaluate you for 72 hours. If they're going to keep you longer then they have to inform, like, um, your next of kin, whether if you're underage, well, you can be underage, but if you're like living with your parents, then they'll inform your parents. If you have a wife, they'll inform your wife, you know, whoever is your,
1: Yeah. It is crazy. I mean, it is crazy how easily your rights can be taken away pretty quickly. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, but I mean, like, you know,
1: who gets to make that call? Social workers and people like that. I mean, it's the same way that, like, if someone called ACS on parents, once that happens... Yeah, once there's an allegation. Yeah, once there's an allegation, you have to go through, the, even if it's completely false, even if it's, like, a completely yeah. insane you have to go through the steps to like disprove and it's, you know, it's, it is, it is crazy. Like it is, it's surprising. You have surprisingly little protections over your bodily autonomy and uh, that of your children, which is interesting because the, it's mostly very left-leaning people who are carrying this stuff out, right? Like social work and things like that are very left leaning positions, but they're the ones who are all about yeah. <laughs> You know, protections and bodily autonomy in certain situations. So
0: well, yeah, because you don't know what's good for you,
1: only government bureaucrats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think um this was super interesting, Penelope. thank you for thank you for joining us. You were very forthcoming and uh, lovely to speak to, and I really appreciate that, Of course. Thank you so much. yeah, we'll have to have you back. Um, do you have any final thoughts, eh? We're kind of getting to our...
0: Uh, no, not really. Um, just thanks for joining. And uh, yeah, maybe if if Q starts up his cult, that can be uh, number three. Yeah, yes. that can be your... Th- yeah. You
1: can join the third cult. Um, tell them one more time where to find you on Twitter and stuff. Yeah,
2: so let me actually bring up, because I can't even like remember all the letters in my Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my Twitter is spelled incorrectly. It's Penelope-ish. Um, But it's at (laughs) P-H-Y-C-O-R-O-C-K-C-H-I-C-K.
1: And if you can't find her, just go to mine and uh, search Penelope. And also, A and I have started our Submittable. Everything on there is uh, free right now. We would love just... Oh, excuse me. Oh, my God is a totally different thing. We started our substack. Everything on there is currently free. We are figuring out uh how to promote it, but uh you can uh subscribe for free and it would mean a lot to us. So yeah. Bye, thoughties. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>